Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're talking about financial planning trends in oil and gas. Really, we're going to talk about how oil and gas compensation has existed in the past, the great migration, the elephant in the room, why people are moving to tech companies, and then what we think the future of oil and gas compensation looks like in light of those transitions. Justin, where do you want to start this conversation? Let's talk a little bit. 20, 30 years ago, compensation for oil and gas companies is very different than it is today. And the financial planning differences compared to if you retired from a large oil and gas company 25 years ago, your financial situation was a lot different than retiring today. So the reason we're doing this podcast is because just like the past 20 years has brought a lot of change, I think the next five or 10 years uh, for big oil and gas companies is going to bring a similar amount of change. So your compensation structure changes, your benefits change. That means that your financial plan changes drastically as well. Yeah, I can't help but think of the Mark Andreessen quote, software is eating the world. And that's really kind of like the thing that's sitting above this whole conversation because software companies are like eating up all of the best talent, right? And it's important to kind of paint the context of of the tailwinds that have really kind of led us here. We're seeing a, it's an elephant in the room, but there's a mass migration of people from oil and gas to tech companies. So we'll talk about why that is and then what oil and gas companies can learn from that. But really- it comes down to kind of a, a, a demographic tailwind, right? Like a lot of businesses, especially software businesses that have principally, principally been located in really high cost of living cities are relocating. A lot of them are opening up shops in Texas or even other economies other than Texas, but there's a mass migration. And Texas has been a huge benefactor of business formation, right? Because Two people benefit, the corporation, because there's a lot of tax incentives and benefits there, but individuals as well, moving from a state like California that has a marginal tax, state income tax rate of over 10% at the highest level to no state income tax in a state like Texas. So that's really kind of pushed that drive. But the compensation has gotten really interesting and compelling because with COVID, there's been this mass migration of people to work from anywhere. And there's a big fight for talent going on right now. And so what companies are doing is they're basically equalizing pay regardless of where you live. So you can work and and they'll compensate you as though you lived in a larger city, even if you just live in Texas, which is great for the employer. And it's also great for the employee because you have a much higher quality of life and your dollar goes further. And the war on talent and the need for good talent has allowed these wages to stay high. And and Justin will talk a little more about what exactly we're seeing as to the wages, yes, are high. We would say higher, but they're also different, which creates a different set of opportunities and potential problems. And I think the uh, force that is Texas over the past 20, 30 years is a central theme in, in compensation changing and, and financial plans changing. I mean, you think about America in 1995, if you wanted to make big money, it was a prerequisite that you moved to New York, LA, Chicago. 
uh, maybe San Francisco. And so that was the world that we lived in. And a couple things have changed. You know, obviously remote work brings about a lot of personal choice and freedom in, in that regard. But also Texas has essentially joined that group and in some cases surpassed that group. And this is beyond uh, tech and, and oil and gas. In every industry, you're seeing that the best place to live, to, to thrive and, and move and advance your career is to live in Texas. I remember, gosh, this was what, seven, eight years now, but I moved to Texas from the Washington DC area. And uh, it was pretty crazy to me at that time that essentially there was more opportunity eight years ago moving to Houston in financial planning, financial advising, more opportunity in Houston than there was in Washington, D.C. And I think we're now seeing that regardless of what industry you're in, regardless of what work you're in, I mean, Texas today is kind of like New York City, Chicago 20 years ago. Yeah. So let's dive in. What really... You know, so big tech, elephant in the room, it's changing. It's getting a lot of good oil and gas planning talent. What are we seeing? How does the comp differ? And like, what are some of the additional planning complexities and opportunities that it creates? Absolutely. So that Mark Andreessen uh, quote that you mentioned, I think it was software is eating the world, something along those lines. There's something to be said that when you have a software product or, or company, you're talking about a core product that a business is built around that requires a whole lot less manpower. And so the margins in, in pricing ability there is just really incredible. So the end product there is these tech companies, if you're looking at Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook, Microsoft, and, and all across the board, they have a s incredible amount of assets to pay their workforce. And so four quick changes or four quick things that we're seeing, because certainly we've seen a lot of oil and gas professionals take positions at big tech companies in the last year or so. So four things that we're seeing in these offers. So income is just higher and makes a lot of sense. I mean, people will, will make a job change when the income is substantially higher. So most oil and gas professionals are not going to reach the highest marginal tax rate unless they get several really significant promotions within their career. And so you've got to be at a pretty high level to make seven, $800,000 a year. Big tech companies, not that way at all. I mean, there can, to a certain degree, you can almost be middle management and start to enter that type of pay at some of these larger tech companies. So huge, huge uh, financial planning implications we'll get into after that. When you're in a 37% marginal tax rate, a lot of your financial planning attention has to be on specific things. So income goes up. That's number one. Two, the type of compensation changes. If you entertain an offer from a large tech company, it's one thing that you're going to have higher compensation, but it's not just a paycheck every two weeks. Uh, the type of compensation you're getting is equity comp uh, based. And, and I would even say in many cases, a majority of your comp uh, is either RSUs or stock options. And we'll kind of put an asterisk by that. We'll come back to RSUs versus options. So income goes up, type of compensation changes. Number three, tech companies have less qualified retirement plan contributions. So if you think about your family balance sheet, and by the way, this is basically the theme of this entire podcast, the past, present, and future for oil and gas professionals is 
that your family's assets is moving away from all being in workplace retirement plans, pension 401k, to a much more split mix of some retirement plans, as well as a lot of brokerage, non-qualified assets, taxable assets. So income goes up, type of compensation changes, less qualified retirement contributions, no pension for potential location change. Now, I, you know, we alluded to this and mentioned this. A lot of these tech companies are creating permanent locations in all of the big Texas cities. This isn't happening all over the board, but if you do happen to make a location change away from Texas, a lot of financial planning implications. So those are the four uh, things that are kind of on the horizon with offers from tech companies as they try to take oil and gas talent. Jared, anything to add in there before we talk about how those four changes impact your financial plan? I would just kind of paint some context and say that the compensation needs to be higher because I would argue it's more tax inefficient, right? Because what happens when an employer was paying you with a bunch of after-tax methods, you know, if you made, if your base, uh, your total compensation was in the ballpark of 250, but you know, the $50,000 in pension contribution and the ag- aggressive match of 24,000, those are pre-tax amounts. And when you would distribute those, it's in the future when you don't have income tax. So by front-loading it and making all of your compensation taxable in this year, it's right when you earn it, it puts you in a really high tax ra- bracket. So, you know, you better be getting compensated accordingly because you're signing yourself for drastically more in taxes. And I get why corporations have done this. You know, it gets you as a liability off of their balance sheet, right? An unfunded pension is is a liability to the business. And a lot of people still receiving the, their pensions are still on the balance sheets of these companies is an unfunded liability, right? It's it For the business, it's operationally easier to just say, hey, we're going to give you everything here now. And then with equity compensation, it's a great way to just increase share issuance, right? It's pretty easy to, in, instead of giving cash, just float some equity, you know, and, and and they're buying back shares and stock buybacks are a bigger thing to kind of offset the dilution that comes from equity compensation issuance. But those are really two of the considerations. While it sounds really great, all these big changes, it's not for this episode, but we could debate, you know, what the net benefit is in which scenario the oil and gas professional is better off in. It's just one set of problems for another. And it, it sounds better than it is, I think. That's a great point. The biggest issue that that forces the total comp to be much higher is stock options. And as we'll go into, I mean, stock options can be worthless, right? So, and not only can they be worthless, but the variable of outcomes when you have a huge portion of your income, huge portion of your personal balance sheet in one company, a lot of potential outcomes there, and you need to be compensated for that risk. Yeah. I would say for our oil and gas listeners that aren't contemplating a change to big tech, we would say this still applies to you because as we see benefits, net unrealized appreciation, pensions, those things are phasing out. Like there is just a macro trend of employers moving away from that. So even if you enjoy where you're at and you see yourself being there for longer, you'll definitely want to pay attention because compensation will change regardless of the profession. And we think tech is a good kind of front runner of, hey, here's what we think it'll look like. We think the application to the industry will be different, but but if we want to get a sense of where a lot of empl- employers of massive, large companies, where their heads are at, we think there's a lot we can learn here. That's well put. All right. How about we dive in and, and kind of wrap up the the tech portion of the podcast with the financial planning implications of those different offers? 
So when you think about having higher compensation, a uh, type of compensation being tied to your company stock, plus less qualified retirement contributions, here's some of the things that, that you really need to be thinking about within your personal financial plan. So I mentioned this, the summary of this entire podcast is essentially both for tech as well as for oil and gas compensation changes over the past 30 years and into the next 10 years. The big change is moving your personal or family balance sheet away from qualified retirement plans, pension, 401ks, and it's moving toward a lot of taxable brokerage accounts. And I'll add the term non-retirement taxable brokerage accounts. That's that's the key thing. So when you move your uh, assets in that direction, away from retirement plans to brokerage accounts, first thing I want to point out, you have got to monitor your trading activity like a hawk. You have got to be so careful in how you manage a brokerage account. Jared, how are short-term capital gains taxed? Taxed as income. That's right. And what was the number one? Go ahead. No, and that's the number one thing, right? Your income, based on how tech companies are structuring their comp, you're signing yourself up for more taxes today. More compensation today means more taxes today. Which is a good thing, but yes. But yeah, so short-term, you know, short-term gains are definitely something you don't want to realize. What else, Justin, related to thinking about, okay, the after-tax bucket is now this huge bucket. What, What other considerations are there? Okay. So monitor trading activity carefully. The reason why you need to do that is to avoid short-term capital gains. Yes. But also within your brokerage account, you know, all of your trading activity, do you own mutual funds? Do those mutual funds pay out a distribution every December? Whether you take that and, and spend that money or whether you just reinvest it back into the fund, the IRS doesn't care. Uh, they're going to tax you on it all the same. So all of your trading activity within a brokerage account, it needs to be very scrutinized. You need to be very, very careful and have a critical eye on all trading activity within non-retirement brokerage accounts. Quick example here. So highest short-term capital gain marginal rate, 37% right now. And why do you want to monitor trading activity so carefully? Because the long-term capital gains rates are way lower. They are 0%, 15%, or 20%. And while you're working at a big tech company, you're going to have an extra 3.8% on top of the 15 and 20 potentially. So you're in a situation where if you plan out your brokerage trading properly, instead of paying 37% on some of the transactions in your brokerage account, you could uh, be really careful with how you manage your household portfolio across retirement plans and brokerage assets. And instead of paying 37%, you could pay 0% in the future. So it really is, I mean, it's a high stakes uh, opportunity there to make sure you are careful with how you manage trading activity. One other quick thing with trading activity, as you receive uh, RSUs or options, the way that you manage those in a timely manner has big tax implications. And so that's a pretty big deal. And let's see, Jared, anything else before we move on to charitable giving with those? No, keep going with charitable giving. Okay, great. So- If you're in a situation where your income is down drastically higher and you're receiving employer stock, either units or options, let's say that you have some stock that is now vested and you've kept it for a couple of years and you have a huge gain. 
Those are positions that, that if you do any charitable giving at all, you need to use those and you need to give those to charity. I don't know how much we've talked about charitable giving on the podcast. Maybe we need to do an entire episode on it, but big thought, don't give cash to charity. Do not give cash. Do not give check or credit card. Instead, look in your brokerage account, take the highest appreciated position, whether it's a fund, whether it's an individual stock, maybe it's your company stock, whatever it is, whatever the highest uh, appreciated asset within your non-retirement brokerage account, give that to charity. That holds, as you know, that holds a big capital gain, embedded capital gain. You can completely get rid of that capital gain if you give that to charity. So long story short, if you give to charity, if you support charity at all, stop giving cash and instead give appreciated securities. So Justin, great. Those are some great examples of like being like a laser. I love the word like laser sharp precision into like managing your taxable activity, but it's tough because on the other side of this, right? I love the adage, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. There's this other big thing we need to consider and gifting appreciated stock is a good example of how to get around it, but it's managing concentrated stock positions, right? Because your equity comp is going to become a substantial portion of your compensation. You need to be laser precise in how you mitigate that embedded gain, that that equity compensation before it gets out of control because inaction is a choice and you don't want 70 80, 90, even I would say 20 to 30% of your net worth tied up in a single company stock is really risky. So, you know, you need to be considerate and thoughtful, but there's these almost these competing trade-offs of tax efficiency and managing the concentrated stock risk. And and that's why planning is such an art and it's so fun because the answer is probably in the middle and it considers both of those things. But that's that's another thing that you need to look out for. Great point. You've got to be really careful with that. Uh, and I mean, there can be, if, if you just really want to have a big position in your employer stock, you need to think about it similar to Jared. We did a podcast on this, on our thought process when we started Brownlee Wealth Management, uh, because essentially we're in a similar boat. We have a massive portion of our personal balance sheets in one business, the business that we own. And so you've got to have the right mindset and figure out where does this investment fit into my long-term financial plans and what am I trying to accomplish here? And how much autonomy do I really have in the business and its future performance? With you and me, we get to make a lot of decisions and and reap the reap the benefits or deal with the consequences. But you know, we we have a lot more say in the matter versus being in a large company, just due to the, to the nature of how big it is and how many intricate parts there are and how impacted it is by all the macro components and competitions and, and acquisitions. And there's just so many things. So even if you are bullish and optimistic, it's important to kind of take a step back and remember, okay, how do I feel about the company and how much control do I have? So I kind of come at it with a right mind. And and here's the interesting thing. The world is changing so fast. You could be bullish about your situation when you make an equity election that doesn't vest for three years. In three years when it vests, you could be in a drastically different position or have drastically different feelings about, about the company three years later. That's another thing is, is there's, there's a weighting component and the world's just changing so fast. You got to think about those things as, as you make decisions with equity comp. That's absolutely correct. Last thing I want to bring up, if you happen to leave Texas, so if, if you happen to move um, and work in another state, 
always critical to be aware of estate planning laws. So yes, you need to be aware of state income tax. Uh, It also goes further than that. How about how does your new state tax capital gains? That's very relevant. But also estate planning laws differ substantially state by state. Also asset protection laws differ state by state. And even if you're in Texas, asset protection laws are very different for retirement assets uh, compared to non-retirement taxable brokerage accounts. So again, a big theme about the next 10 years of oil and gas compensation is the transition that every industry is going into. And, and text led the way in this. The transition, as I've mentioned several times now, moving away from qualified retirement assets, all of your wealth being tied up into pension 401k into compensation structures that inevitably mean you've got a ton of wealth in taxable brokerage accounts. Those taxable brokerage non-retirement assets, those do not carry the same protection uh, really in any state, uh, to my knowledge, relative to a retirement account or a primary residence. So that's one of the big changes, right? And really just kind of bringing it back to our clients, oil and gas professionals today. We see higher cash comp, which we think is good long-term. We see more equity comp, so needing to be more strategic with taxable assets. And then another thing we didn't really get to touch on, but I'll just cover briefly, more flexibility in equity compensation. So a lot of employers are giving uh, the employee the option to determine what allocation of their awards they want in equity compensation in restricted stock units or in incentive stock options. So those have various upsides, downsides, opportunities, and tax consequences. So there's going to be flexibility and equity. And the other thing I've added that we haven't really talked about in terms of you know what big changes we see coming for oil and gas, if we look to big tech for inspiration, we would say some new benefits are on the horizon. Some of these companies are really innovating in the way they're providing incentives to employees. We're seeing student loan matching, wellness incentives, gym reimbursements, subsidized access to financial planners or legal teams or mental health therapists. So there's really just a lot of innovation that's happening. And so even if you stay put, we think that those things are going to change. And the fun thing for us, a lot of the things that we've been planning for, net and real appreciation, pensions, those are changing and those are going away and being phased out. But it's just for another set of things that have equally high stakes and just different planning considerations. It's, it's like a puzzle. Financial planning is like a puzzle that every time you get it together, the board changes and then you're trying to relearn the rules. So we're excited to see kind of how this impacts our clients moving forward. Justin, anything else you'd have before we wrap up? Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things you just mentioned real briefly. You know, I think we we mentioned this at the beginning, 20 years ago, if you worked at a large oil and gas company, your financial plan was pretty different than it is today. I mean, 20 years ago, you probably either didn't have a lump sum option or you chose to take the annuity within your pension. And so that's a huge difference because one, your risk profile, the risk that you're taking with your assets just went way down. And so 20 years ago, if you're receiving a monthly paycheck, well, that really has a big difference on the tax planning you can do in retirement. It removes a lot of tax planning you can do and how your investment portfolio should look. Now, today we fast forward to today. So the big difference between now and 1995 is you're taking your pension as a lump sum. Most likely. That's that's the most likely outcome. 
And so that means that yes, your assets do have a riskier profile attached to them, uh, but it also means that you've got the flexibility to not have any taxable income for a few years in retirement. So that gives you huge opportunity today. Now, I think if we fast forward 10 years from now, we're going to stop seeing pensions um, as you retire. I think we're already seeing that, right? Uh, Jared, you know, how much we have, we have so much content on the uh, Anadarko merger from a couple of years ago. So, you know, you think about Anadarko, uh, gosh, 10, 15 years ago, they created the uh, PWA to essentially kind of transition away from this standard pension. Shell has so many iterations of their pension based on when you were hired. And this is that's that's not unique to Shell. Just about every employee, every employer has different pensions based on when you uh, started at the company. Now, I also think you're and, and we're seeing this that how many of the Anadarko kind of offsprings don't have any pension at all now. Western Midstream did away with it completely. So now it's just a really substantial 401k match. So all across the industry, pensions are going away. So financial planning is going to be a whole lot different 10 years from now as the amount of pensions that we see when you retire is going to be a lot less. I also want to hit on NUA. So NUA primarily is just a huge financial planning uh, component. Uh, I mean, it's really a pillar. It's, it's kind of a cornerstone in your financial life right before you retire and then when you retire. A lot of tax planning needs to happen at that time. Big difference between that versus the future. I think NUA is going to go away. Why would you have a why would you have a, a company stock plan in the 401k when you could just structure it as RSUs or ISOs or, or any other uh, type of stock option? And so I think with with that out of the picture, NUA requires so much delicate execution and planning when you are in retirement mode. But if you have RSUs or ISOs or any other type of uh, stock plan, that requires ongoing planning. That's not an asset that you plan for when you turn 59 and you're retiring in the next six months. No, when you have RSUs or stock options, that is a, a part of your financial life that requires a lot of ongoing maintenance and it requires sound decisions consistently made for decades. And so when we think about where oil and gas financial planning and compensation is going 10 years from now, I think we're going to see a lot of those transitions that that tech companies have made and oil and gas companies have already started making. Uh, We're going to see less pensions. We're going to see less NUA. We're going to see more flexibility with comp, potentially higher comp, if future revenues continue to allow it. And I I think we're just going to see a lot of tax planning catered to stock units and stock options. So- I think that really touches on everything. Any anything you'd add no, to that, just, Jerry? You know, the the game is constantly changing, and it's fun, and we're going to continue to cover it, right? And regardless of how the comp changes, it'll just be a different framework that you operate under. And good planning—that's why planning is a process, not an event, right? Because your goals aren't static, your comp isn't static. You know, everything is changing. Tax law is not static. Exactly. So, you know, we're going to continue to be there as, as things change. If you have specific situation, uh, questions related to your situation or ideas for a future podcast, shoot us an email at podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. We love to hear from you. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com. 
or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.